and thanks for listening to my podcast. In this episode today, we're going to talk about a somewhat heavy topic. We're going to talk about cultural appropriation and changing my business name. So one of the most significant growth areas reflecting on 2020 for me was the anti-racism work that I did. So I'm really embarrassed to admit that before June of this year, I really hadn't spent any time understanding or thinking about the white privilege that I held. And quite frankly, I didn't even really fully understand what white privilege was. And while I have a long way to go on this learning journey, I really did learn a lot this year. And I feel like I had a big influence teaching others as well, whether that's clients or listeners of this podcast. And I talked extensively about this, uh, not only this topic in my anti-racism work, but also some of the books that I read. That episode was 191. So if you want more specifics or some of the resources that I've consumed to educate myself, you can listen to that episode 191 and find all about it. And as I'm sure for many of you, as we start to learn and to unravel, a lot of things come up through reflection, right? About ourselves, about others, about the past, about the future. We kind of start to question everything, don't we? Which is a good thing. So here's what we're going to learn today. First, I'm going to explain what my big aha moment was about cultural appropriation. Then the second segment, I'm going to explain what I did to address it. And then the third segment, I'm going to explain the decision that I made with my business going forward. So get out of your head, into your heart, and let's dive right in, shall we? So let's start by talking about my aha moment. I'm surprised actually that it didn't happen earlier in the year, especially with all the attention around the Black Lives Matter movement and our heightened sensitivity. So let's start at the beginning. So since June, I've noticed a lot of heightened sensitivity around people naming privilege, around people naming cultural appropriation, and also as a reflect the call out culture, whether it's authentic and justified or not. And just to be clear, I'm not questioning the legitimacy of cultural appropriation. I think it's really important. However, what I've learned in my experience and in my education has been that Sometimes it's really clear, but sometimes there's kind of a gray area and there's room for interpretation or room for discussion. So for me, sports teams like the Indians or Redskins, that's clearly inappropriate. Like, I don't think anybody would question that that's offside. But where it gets tricky is around, for example, purchasing trinkets and keepsakes. So if I go to Hawaii and I buy a tiki bar coffee mug, is that culture appropriating? It's supporting heritage and tradition. What about buying a pair of moccasins? If you buy them from Target and they're mass produced in China, well, that feels like it's inappropriate. But if they're handmade on a native reserve and they're supporting indigenous people to uphold and maintain their heritage and culture, well, then that feels right to me as long as they're receiving the proceeds of it. The other really gray area is 
and I'll say this as a white woman, so every Halloween costume that I've had, and this came up in our anti-racism group, I'd never thought about this, but pretty much every Halloween costume I've ever had has been inappropriate, whether it's a gypsy costume or um, some sort of like punk rocker. Pretty much everything you do is appropriating culture from someone else, especially as white people, because we don't necessarily have culture. And in in Canada, our culture is to welcome the culture of other cultures, which I know sounds really confusing. But we don't necessarily have a lot of identifying markers as culture. So a lot of these questions that we addressed in our anti-racism group this year really shone a lot of light on how important it is, but then also how confusing and gray it can be at times too. So I'm really grateful to everybody in that group who shared their perspectives, shared their wisdom and, and insights. It was helpful for me to hear that. And I have to confess, though, some days we walked away with more questions than we did answers. But I think that's still important because we're having the conversation and we're understanding the different perspectives and ways of looking at something before we understand what is right. And for me, that's really important to spend time and energy into educating yourself and to understand all the different perspectives. So in light of this cultural appropriation, this awareness that I have around it, I saw a lot of companies, especially over the summer, changing their names and also changing some of their messaging. And I was out for a walk one day when I had a punch in the gut, like a big aha moment. I was listening to the audiobook, second time through, called Me and White Supremacy. And Leila Saad talks about cultural appropriation and explains what it is. And for some reason, I stopped and it sunk in and I thought, oh no. Oh no, how did I not see this before? I wonder if my company name, The Corporate Yogi, is in fact cultural appropriation. And I don't know why I didn't realize this or it didn't sink in the first time through, but I think that's just, you know, framing up the point that it's so important for us to educate ourselves because it takes time for us to really absorb all this new information and new way of looking at things. And so I started to think about that and started to have that, you know, that slow motion dread that washes over you. Like, why have I never thought of this until now? Why is this just sinking in to me on the second pass of the book? Am I? Am I not? Is it? Who do I ask? Where do I go? Where do I get the, you know, the qualifying decision of whether this is or not culture appropriating? So... I spent the better part of about two weeks going back and forth, flip-flopping, trying to make a decision and trying to figure out what is the right thing to do and how do I get an answer? So here's what I did. I did what I normally do when I find myself in a situation where I'm in way over my head and I don't actually have the capacity to make a decision. I asked for help and I specifically asked from a bunch of people who are way smarter than me. I knew that this was a decision that I could not make in a vacuum. It was just 
too new of an area for me. I don't hold expertise. I'm still a student here and I'm on a big learning curve myself. So I needed to summon the help of others so that I could make a decision. So here's what I did. First off, I reached out to my community to get their feedback. So I sent out an email to my newsletter group asking them for thoughts and insights. I felt this was important and at the same time, I wanted to exercise caution because I knew it would be a slightly biased audience. And I think it was the feedback that I received as thoughtful and well articulated as it was, was overwhelmingly supportive that I should keep the business name as it was. So next, I reached out to a bunch of coaching peers who work in the same industry as I do, and I knew that this would be unbiased, right, and that they would tell me the truth. And this is one of the great advantages of being friends with coaches is that you know if anybody's going to tell you and give you the tough love, it's a coach. So I wasn't afraid of the tough love, and neither are they in doling it out. The next conversation I had with my mentor, who had some very, very sage advice about what to do, how to approach the topic, which was invaluable and exactly what I needed to hear. And the last reflection was from my teachers in India, where I studied Ayurveda for many months. They offered really valuable insights. They acknowledged that yes, yoga has been leveraged excessively in the West. However, they explained that it was actually the interest of the West in Ayurveda that was keeping it alive because the programs that they taught, um, specifically Ayurveda classes, aren't really being attended by locals. It's all people from the West. So yoga was the same, largely attended by Westerners, not from locals in India. In the end, after about six weeks of conversations and inquiries and soul searching around this topic, I decided to keep the name The Corporate Yogi for the following reasons. So the definition of a yogi is actually someone who does practice yoga. And I have practiced yoga for 18 years. Not only do I practice yoga and meditation on an almost daily basis, I have trained to receive two different yoga teacher certifications, one in Hatha Yoga and one in Hot Yoga, as well as a ton of other breathwork courses and studies. I've taught yoga for many years here in Toronto and also on retreat, destination retreats. I've studied in India under Indian teachers uh, to understand Ayurveda and also spent a lot of time with the yoga teachers there. And I've also attended a Vipassana 10-day meditation and silence retreat about five different times. So I wanted to list all these uh, items to really explain that my passion and my investment in yoga is sincere and it's also significant. If I had just you know, picked the name The Corporate Yogi randomly and actually didn't practice, study, and never had been to a yoga class, then I think that would feel inauthentic. It would feel out of alignment for me. In that case, I think it would be cultural appropriation, and I would absolutely, without a doubt, change my name. However, in this case, I decided that it feels right to keep it, at least for now. And I want to always keep an open mind, and I'm open to more feedback 
If you have any or if you want to present me with information you think is relevant, I would love to hear it and I will always consider the input. At the end of the day, I know that the work that I do, the essence of it, and the community of people that I know I serve would continue to thrive even if I did change the name. That I know for sure. And the other important thing to note here, it was just a personal reflection for me. When this all went down and I had that punch in the gut outside, I was actually, I was shocked that I hadn't thought of this before, but at no time in that two weeks of contemplation did I ever panic or freak out. If I had to change my name, I would change my name or just self-brand as Julie Zuzak. That's not a big deal. But the point is that the biggest concern for me was on my mind of, is it or is it not? That was really the question. It wasn't my ego freaking out and saying, oh my gosh, I have to change everything about the company and this is going to be a mess. Whereas I feel like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, definitely when I was still working in corporate, I think my ego would have come to the forefront and actually had a meltdown. I know that unequivocally. That would have happened. So that was kind of um, a really proud moment for me to know that either way this went down, it would have been okay. All right. So I hope that makes sense and gives a little bit of context into what I've been addressing with the business, with the podcast, and with the branding. It was a tough decision, but I feel confident with it, and I want to say a big thank you to everyone who shared their insights, their input, and their conversations with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll close out this episode with a quote from Maya Angelou. And this is a quote that has been used a lot over the last few months, but it has really helped me as a guiding North Star. And I think you might benefit from it too. Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better.